Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's so mad at himself for not betting on Kirill Kaprizov to win the Calder last year after we literally said on this show that he's going to win and the odds were good, and then I just sat there, I didn't bet on him, I could have been rich. Anyway, I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, we've got a special guest host today, Brian is away, but instead we've got a ringer, prospect expert from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, Victor Nuno, to talk all about Calder candidates, welcome to the show, Victor. Thanks, Elon. Super excited to be to be back. Although last time, yeah, I got to do this with Brian. And so it's good to be on with you talking some Calder candidates. Yeah, Brian's here in spirit. Uh, we know what, what Brian's take is going to be. It's like, don't draft these guys in one-year leagues because they're too unpredictable. <laughs> uh, but definitely in your dynasty leagues, you want to listen to this. Uh, but also, there might be some players who are rookies that might actually be super fantasy relevant and valuable in your leagues. Like, we saw Kaprizov last year. We saw Jason Robertson last year, even though he kind of came out of nowhere. Did we even bring up Jason Robertson? I don't think we did on that show going into last season. I did, actually. And and there were a couple Dallas guys, and he was one that I said, if, if anyone's going to be relevant, it was him. Of course, I did not think that he would be that good, but he was one of the watch ones at the very end. So, yeah, mentioned in passing, but he certainly surpassed expectations. <laughs> All right. Hey, that counts. And uh, we'll see this year if his brother, Nick Robertson, gets a mention on the podcast. Yeah, that's the plan for today. We're going to talk all about rookies and Calder candidates, maybe some previous rookies. We'll see how much we can fit in before Victor's got to go. Uh, but before we get to all that, of course, let me mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. And they've released, of course, every year that fantasy hockey guide where you can just go download it. You've got all your projections, all your write-ups on the teams, and then you just keep redownloading it. They already released a new version after all the Jesperi Kakaniemi and Christian Dvorak stuff over the last couple of days. So, like, you know, you buy a guide at the store, that's it. This one, you keep redownloading, you get all the latest information. So check that all out at DauberHockey.com. Uh, but with that, Victor, let's just get into everything. Uh, why don't we actually just start by talking about this Kakaniemi thing? This is kind of in the news, so maybe we can cover that before we move forward. You're, you're my Brian here to start, but uh, for those of you who are living under a rock, the Carolina Hurricanes offer-sheeted Kakaniemi, offered him $6 million, and what was it, $20 signing bonus, because that's Aho's number. Uh, the Canadians decided not to match, which means Kakaniemi is going to Carolina, and in exchange, Montreal's getting a couple draft picks, and they flipped one of those draft picks, the first round pick in 2022, to Arizona, and they got Christian Dvorak. So uh, let's start on the Carolina side. They get Kakaniemi. We've already seen a tweet saying that the plan is for him to play left wing, which I guess makes sense because they're pretty stacked at center already with Aho and Trocek and Jordan Stahl. So Kakaniemi is a guy who's been kind of disappointing in his career overall, right? Like his best season ever was that rookie season when he had 34 points in 79 games. This past season, only 20 points in 56 games. So hasn't been a guy on anyone's fantasy rosters except for in dynasty leagues. Uh, so now going to Carolina, what do you think in general about Kakaniemi? Like were the Habs smart not to match it? Do you think that he still had the upside to you know be worth that third round pick that he was taken at back in 2018? Short overall pick, you mean? Yeah, no. Um, I think that Carolina, or sorry, Montreal was very smart not to match that. I think the Canes put them in a really difficult situation. 
And yeah, I actually said this in our Discord. I wish I had just tweeted it out or said it. I, you know, I was like, I, I don't think that they should match it. And they're probably going to use that pick to immediately announce a trade. It wasn't that immediate, but they did get Christian Dvorak, which, you know, they have him for several years at a much lower cap hit. And he's a pretty serviceable, you know, one of the weaker one C's in the league, but he could he could be a two C right behind Suzuki. So that was kind of a smart move. And yeah, Kakaniemi. You know, he's interesting. Obviously, he's been very, I guess, interestingly used would be a good way to put it in Montreal. You know, his his ice time has been pretty limited, but he's a pretty excellent defensive forward and probably has more offense to give. Not like a huge upside, but I think that, you know, Carolina is thinking more down the road here, not just for this year. Obviously, it's an overpay for this year. He's not worth that this season. But if they can get him an arbitration for you know, something in the three, 4 million range and he signs there and likes it, then that's nice. And apparently he trains in the off season with Ajo and uh, Tara Vine and fellow Finns. So maybe he slots even up on that top line. That would be pretty awesome if he could get that deployment. I'm not sure that that's, you know, going to last or is a hundred percent, but if he could get up there and maybe get some power play time, it could be an exciting time, but I expect him to be more you know, if he does, if he does push Jordan Stahl down and be the three C, then, you know, that'll be, that'll be not as good for him. Or if he is kind of just more of a passenger, 45 point pace might be kind of a good expectations for him. But the nice thing about Kotkaniemi is he always, you know, gets pretty decent peripherals, not necessarily shots, but his hits are pretty good. And, you know, maybe he'll get to shoot more with a good setup mat playing on the wing. So I'm not, I don't think it's a it's a great situation for him, but it could be if he if he locks into you know with Aho and they click, that could be that could be pretty nice for him. Yeah, for sure. I guess we saw Brock McGinn get a chance on the top line at times last year, so it's not as if there's anyone really entrenched to play with Aho on that left side of Teravina is also there, or maybe if if someone else is there like a Svechnikov or something. But yeah, if if Kakanyemi gets there, that's great. So I guess we're saying uh, he's the type of guy that you're watching in the preseason to see what his you know, deployment is what line he's getting put on and there's upside but also at the same time hard to imagine him being too exciting I guess he's a little more exciting now in Carolina than he was on Montreal just because of this news that they might try him on the wing and then I guess obviously this is not a prospect anymore but Christian Dvorak I will bring up I think like he's intriguing to me like you look at uh, Philip Deneau his best season in Montreal he was like a 55-ish point guy like he was definitely someone that I was adding in my fantasy leagues and like Dvorak comes in he's now basically like the second line center and there's not really any competition i guess we're looking at evans and uh i don't know i might have to look this up to see who else is a center on montreal right now but you know if you look at who his line mates are going to be like they montreal people may not remember they signed mike hoffman right so he's a good goal scorer they have gallagher so right away, I, I see that as a pretty decent second line assuming they're going to go caulfield who we'll definitely be talking about on this podcast but if they go like caulfield suzuki to on the top line then you have hoffman with dvorak and gallagher on the second line to give dvorak some power play time and all of a sudden this is like a pretty good spot where maybe he can also be like a 55 ish point guy so uh if you were drafting in the cacuffle the keeping carlson alto patron fantasy league which is a one-year league for next year which of course you you will be doing uh who would you take first between kakaniemi and dvorak if you're like you know at the bottom of your draft and you're trying to take a swing on someone oh for sure i'd take dvorak um you know he's like you mentioned he should have some pretty good guys to play with i mean one the annoying thing about both of these teams is they they tend to have kind of spreading their ice time around and no one gets a ton unless you're aho and teravinen so they they might actually have sort of similar ice time. Dvorak being a center is a little less appealing. If Kakaniemi gets wing eligibility, that could that could be pretty fun, and that might make him a little bit more valuable. But we won't know that off the top. So yeah, I'd, I'd take Dvorak. Uh, yeah, I think that he probably will 
have some pretty decent line mates. And, you know, I, the thing about Montreal, though, too, is that they're in that really tough division and they're I don't I don't think they're going to do nearly as well as they did, you know, last season. Probably not the hottest take. The, the North is not what the uh, Atlantic is going to be. So I think they're going to have a little bit tougher time scoring goals, but he should still put up, you know, have decent value. You know, he, he usually gets about a hit and a block a game, which is nice. And and his shots aren't great, but um, the points should be there, you know, hopefully 50 ish point pace, maybe a little more. Um, so yeah, I definitely take Dvorak. He's, he's a more established too. Right. So I like that. What about you? No, I think I'd agree. Like Cockney, I mean, like you said, is a good swing if he is going to play on the top line with Aho. But just because he's, you know, going on that line to start the season doesn't mean it'll last all the way. The Nino Niederreiter got some good deployment last year and he held on to it for a lot of the year and he was really great. But yeah, I think Dvorak is a much safer pick, by the way. So, okay, looking at the Montreal depth chart right now, I think Jake Evans is potentially going to be this third line center, unless maybe Jonathan Drewan, they try him again. I feel like they've tried that a bunch of times. It didn't really work. And then I had forgotten, or maybe I just never knew that they signed Cedric Paquette as a free agent over the summer so i guess he could slot in as the fourth line center and that's the center depth on montreal that's what happens when you lose deno and kakaniemi in an offseason uh so okay that's the habs and canes talk now let's get to the main event of today's show which is that victor just like last year we're gonna go over the calder odds based on like whatever the odds makers think and maybe we'll comment on if we think certain players are good bets or bad bets and then afterwards you'll give your takes of who you think are the best bets to win the calder trophy so uh, i guess i'll just hand the reins of the show over to you why don't you get us started with who has the best odds to win the calder according to the vegas odds makers yeah definitely so the top odds maker and actually i should mention that we originally put on the show when the when the initial odds came out and they were um, from odd shark they were pretty funky and uh, they've updated them they make a little bit more sense now <laughs> but they're still uh, they're still kind of interesting top odds at even is trevor zegris and trevor zegris yeah he's he's pretty you know obviously people know about him he's a, he was a pretty high pick and he destroyed the world junior championship for usa this uh, in 2021 and he's got so much going for him, right? I mean, he's, he's, we did our team previews um, at Fancy Hockey Life, and he's already, I think, let me know if you disagree, the best forward on Anaheim, which doesn't say a whole lot, I guess, but he's, he's going to get all the minutes. He's going to get the best offensive forwards to play with. He, you know, he had some time in the NHL, then they sent him down so that he could work on being a center, came back up, and he was, he was much better, you know, winning faceoffs and stuff like that. So Zegris is, going to be good um the the rub of course is who does he play with he's might get all the minutes power play time and and whatever but who's gonna help him produce and that's a fair knock on him for sure because anaheim is not super deep and even if they throw their best at him um i guess like what raquel is pretty decent still and comtois you know should be okay that's a decent line but then the rest of the lines have to do a lot of heavy lifting so I think they could probably do that between Henrik Getzloff, Silverberg, Lundestrom, so they don't completely focus on Zegers, but that is going to be an issue for him. Uh, I think that if Zegers, if all goes well, 50 to 60 points is probably reasonable. Um, You have to keep in mind, too, that he's usually pretty light on peripherals. So in terms of fantasy, I certainly would not overdraft him, but he should be worth a a late-round pick. I wouldn't be picking him super early because even though he's exciting, there's probably going to be a whole lot of centers that are more valuable than him. But if he's still there in like the the mid-teen rounds, for sure, I think he's uh, going to be exciting. I imagine he goes before I'm ready to take him, though, Elon. What about you? 
No, I definitely agree. It's very concerning that Anaheim doesn't have the best guys for him to play with. I mean, it's like good news that they have Zgras in terms of like, if you want to draft a Ricard Raquel, now you could be somewhat confident that there's a decent center option for him to play with. But at the same time, like even odds with Vegas, meaning I, if I bet $100, I win $100 by betting on Zgras. That can't be, like, it just seems like, how can they be so confident that he's going to win that they put these odds on? But, like, when you look at these Vegas odds, by the way, I was complaining to you before the show, they seem kind of just unfair in general. I'm sure people who generally bet on things will agree with me. Like, they have a guy that even odds, then we're going to get to a guy that's plus 200, then we're going to get to a guy that's plus 300. Like, how does that make sense? You would think if Zgras is, like, a coin flip of winning the Calder or not, then the next best bet should be, like, plus 500 or plus 600. So, either way, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't bet on Zgras to win the Calder. Like, even even if I think that he has the best chance of winning, it seems like there's a lot of decent players that have good chances. And like you're saying, if he's like a guy who's going to get maybe 50, 60 points, like that's, you know, not even as good as Jason Robertson did last year. And he didn't win the Calder. So you would assume that someone would have to be better or it's just going to be kind of like a boring Calder race this year where the best player is, you know, a, a, a Trevor Zegras on Anaheim, who, like I say, I agree with you that for this season anyways, until they get some more depth, hard to imagine him being more than say a, a 60 point guy. By the way, you didn't mention uh, Ryan Getzlaff. Obviously, Anaheim thinks he's somewhat decent if they gave him $3 million. I don't know if that was just, you know, to thank him for the good old days. But yeah, it's going to definitely be tough for them to fill out a lineup. But it'll be interesting to see if Zgras can do well. Like last year, uh, Kaprizov, who I mentioned at the top of the show, he didn't have such great players to play with, right? He had Fiala, and we didn't expect Zuccarello to be as good as he ended up being. But yeah, that lineup looked pretty thin to us going into the year. And he obviously was able to still have this amazing rookie season. So I think Zgras is going to have to pull a Kaprizov and obviously Kaprizov was a bit older and had a bit more experience so it's gonna be it'll be tough for Zgras so uh yeah I don't think he's the person that I would bet on but I guess we'll get to that later in the show when you give your picks right now we're just running down the Vegas odds right yeah definitely and I I did mention Getzlav really fast with a whole bunch of other players that I think could do okay but you're right and last year it was different right because who was going to play with Kaprizov? And I was saying, it doesn't matter. You want the guy playing with Kaprizov. But yeah, coming in as a pro, 24 years old, having KHL experience, that's a pretty different from what Zegers has done. And so I, I believe in Zegers as much in terms of his talent level, but it's a whole lot to ask a guy that young, you know, just turned 20 to put the whole team on his back when he hasn't had a whole lot of professional experience like Kaprizov. So I, uh, yeah, I, I do like him a lot, but that's a, that's, that's a big ask for someone. All right, so he's at even odds. Now, next we have someone at plus 200, who I think is my favorite going into this episode. So we'll see if you convince me to go otherwise. Yeah, that's Cole Caulfield or Gold Caulfield, if we want to use that moniker. I definitely love Caulfield, and and he certainly has shown he can succeed. I didn't realize, I thought I knew he was small. I didn't realize he's five foot seven. That's that's incredible. He's so small, but he plays big, and he plays big in in you know the regular season time that he had in the playoffs. He was just remarkable. There were so many smart, you know, sneaky little plays that he made. Um, he was already, he's already one standard deviation above NHL fours and expected goals four per 60. That's incredible for a guy, you know, as, as young as he is. And he had such an impressive year from the world ch- championships to his winning the Hobie Baker, uh, to, you know, his time in the NHL, brief AHL time and then NHL. Uh, the thing I guess that I'm mo- just a little bit worried about with him is just what Montreal does with their lines, right? They kind of spread everything out. Maybe they'll go a little bit more top heavy now that they, have less sort of talent to spread around. 
who knows? That would be nice. But he played a lot of time with with uh, Eric Stahl, and I imagine they have to put him with Nick Suzuki this year. And he, if he plays a full season with Suzuki on the power play at even strength, I think he's gonna he's gonna pop off for sure. I think I you know probably, and he has a, a, an easier job than Zegers, right? I mean, he's playing the wing. He has Suzuki, a strong centerman, to do all the heavy lifting for him. Suzuki is an excellent two way player. I, I think that. Cole Caulfield has a really strong chance uh, of, of winning it. And he's definitely one of my favorites. I, I think that there's a little bit of post playoff hype. And I think in redraft, somebody asked me in our discord, where's Cole Caulfield going to get drafted? And I said too high. I think that people are going to take him much higher than I'm willing to. I'm, I'm willing to draft him as a 60 to 65 point player with upside, but I think people are going to be so excited to take him. It's going to happen before, you know, round 10, maybe even in the, in the, you know, mid five to six range. And that's, that's way too rich for me. So uh, I think that if you can wait and get him, he'd be a great draft, uh, drafted player, but um, the, there's definitely a floor there still. I mean, he still has to acclimate to the grind of an NHL season. So I think we need to temper our expectations just a little bit, but Oh man, there's so much there that you got to love for Cole Caulfield. Yeah, I guess there's a floor for all these guys. They're all rookies, so that means none of them have played a full NHL season yet. Though we have like a Nijelkovic who actually got a lot of time and was a Calder candidate, so it's funny mm-hmm. that he's still eligible. Uh, but yeah, for Caulfield, I feel like it's like a really good situation. Like he's the guy coming into the season of, I think, like we'll see at least at this point, he's the guy that I see as the one most entrenched, most likely to be on like a top line, top power play with a good line mates. I guess like, you could say Zgrass will be top line, top power play, but it's not even as... I don't know, like, sure to me. Like, if you look at the playoffs, he spent almost all the time playing on a line with Toffoli and Suzuki. It seems like they did really well. Uh, I love that he was taking all those shots, right? He had, like, 49 shots in 20 games. It's over two shots per game. As, like, a 19-year-old, now he's going to be a 20-year-old. He didn't, like, actually... It's funny that you say there's all this playoff hype. When you actually look at the numbers, he had 12 points in 20 games. It's not as if he was, like, insane. We're talking about, like, a 50-point pace over these 20 playoff games, which, of course, is a very small sample size, and plus he's young, so I expect him to do better, especially if he's playing the whole season with Suzuki. So I just, well, I mean, I'm definitely going to agree with you that I wouldn't draft him so high in my redraft leagues just because, you know, there's always that risk with a rookie. And if you're taking him at, like, like what you were saying at the time, that like 65, 70 point guys are being taken, there's other players so you could be a lot more confident. But uh, yeah, definitely as far as like just picking who's going to win the Calder, it's hard not to take Caulfield just because he's already had success on the first line with Suzuki, who we know is like a really good player in his own right, and Tyler Toffoli, who scored all those goals. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty into Caulfield, and I'm really excited to see how he does in this second season. Pretty wild that the Habs got him 15th overall back in 2019, and now we're looking at him as maybe one of the front runners for the Calder just a, like a couple years later. Small guys fall, man. Small guys fall. They always do. But yeah, no, it's a good, you're right about the, I mean, it was like 50-ish point pace in the playoffs, but I think the thing is that there were some big, big goals. Like he and Suzuki combined for that overtime win against the Leafs. And there were some, also some pretty clutch goals that he, that he made, especially burning some, one of the Vegas defenders. I can't remember who that was, but there were just some times where he, he just seemed to be clutch. Right. So that, that matters for a lot. I think that sticks in people's minds more than just the total, like, there were people who certainly didn't have, didn't know a lot about him, didn't have super high expectations. And the fact that he, you know, did what he did was like really impressive. So the, the, the big time numbers weren't there though, but there's a, there's a lot of hype surrounding like the context. And I think that sometimes people get overdrafted for that reason. 
Yeah, and to be fair, like a lot of those games where he wasn't getting points were against like Andre Vasilevsky having his like amazing mm-hmm. playoff run. So it wasn't like perfectly representative of the types of players. Like you know, he's going to get to play some games against Buffalo and against you know some of these <laughs> teams that let in a lot more goals. So he's going to be able to pad those numbers compared to what he was able to do in the playoffs. So yeah, uh, to me, he's the favorite. Two to one odds, like basically plus two hundred. That means if you bet a hundred dollars and you win, you get back two hundred. I'm talking about like you know how much you win uh not including getting your money back that you bet right so you bet a hundred dollars you're gonna win two hundred dollars uh i like it's not amazing odds like if he was at kaprizov last year who was like at, at plus 400 i would obviously like that a lot better but uh i yeah like i said i think that he's for me the front runner over zgrass if i had to pick one but uh, we've got a lot more players to go through so i'm curious to hear what you think of the next guy yeah plus 300 is lucas raymond and a place for Detroit winger drafted fourth overall in 2020. He was, uh, he had a kind of a rough season, um, only marginally better in his draft plus one season over in Sweden um, compared to his draft season playing for Frölunda, which is a pretty good team. And so his role was a little bit different and uh, he and Holtz actually not as good in the SHL as a guy we'll talk about later, uh, William Eklund. So uh, a little bit of a step back maybe, but he's going to, Lucas Raymond is going to be in the AHL most likely this season. I don't, he, this is one of those where the odds makers, I just scratched my head. Like, I don't even think he's going to be in the NHL. So how is he going to win the Calder if he's playing in the AHL? Last I checked, they don't award that trophy to people playing in the AHL. So right. If he makes it, who's he going to play with in Detroit? I mean, that's a worse situation than Anaheim by far. And Lucas Raymond is no Trevor Zegers, sorry. Um, so I just don't really see him as someone who's even going to be close. Um, maybe he gets a call up. But then again, why would the Red Wings even do that? Like, they're not ready to be good yet. They're not ready to compete. There's another guy on this list who I think is a much better uh, pick for Detroit. So I don't understand this one. I wouldn't waste my money on Lucas Raymond. I don't even know if I would draft him maybe like at the end for a flyer, but pro- probably not. I would just, you know, watch him. And if he does get a call up and starts making some noise, then I, I guess maybe I'd pick him up. But most likely I probably wouldn't even do that, frankly. Well, yeah, if you're in a league like on Yahoo or wherever, you can't even stash him if he's in the minors. Like, what are you going to do? Just waste a roster spot waiting for Lucas Raymond to get into the lineup for Detroit. And like you said, unlike with Anaheim, where you could imagine Zgrass could be the top line center, like I think like on Detroit, we've pretty much got our top two lines set, right? I'd imagine we're going to have Larkin with Bertuzzi and, say, Verana. And then you've got Pew Suter, who they brought into center the second line, probably with Zadina and Fabry. And like maybe Raymond could bump one of those guys. But I think that that's... That seems to be like a pretty straightforward top six. Uh, let me throw you a name on Detroit, who I don't think is the guy you were going to bring up. I assume the guy you were going to say has a better chance as a defenseman. Uh, I just have to ask you about this guy because I have him in my dynasty league that you're in. And you know that my minor system is very paltry. So this might be one of my best prospects, which is saying more about my team than about this prospect. But uh, maybe Joe Valeno will make the team this year and play uh, in his first rookie season. Obviously, his upside got hit a little bit when Detroit went in and sign Pew Suter. But uh, what do you think? Is there any chance that Valeno can be something for me? Yeah, definitely. Um, by the way, your minor system is garbage. I'll just get that <laughs> out there. But you're also the league champ. I think I've heard you say that on the show before. So uh, it, it, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, you probably would have at some point. But <laughs> yeah, I know the Valeno actually is, is, I think, has a pretty good shot, shot at, at doing something. Uh, I think that super high expectations of maybe like, you know, 70 plus or point per game, Joe, Joe Valeno are probably unrealistic. But he is a guy who's always done well internationally at his age group and, you know, struggled a little bit when he transitioned to pro. 
but you know he's kind of come around that and was was pretty good in the AHL um, last season and then went over to uh, the SHL, which is a, which is a really tough league and he really held his own. He's I think he's really turned a corner in the last season or two, uh, but I think that initially he thought he was and people thought he was going to be this you know big time scorer, but it turns out he's probably just going to be a pretty decent middle six. You know I think a decent second line center or I mean. Uh, uh, maybe a reach at a second line center, but a good third line center. Um, but he he could push up there depending on, you know, what happens with the Red Wings or, you know, get some power play time. So I think that, you know, he's still a guy who's worth holding. And I think that he still could be decent and an ideal world for the Red Wings. He's their three C though, is what, is what I would say. Yeah. So the upside is definitely a little bit limited. Want to just talk about Moritz Sider since like we're on Detroit anyways. I know that he's not the next guy in the Vegas odds, but I see he's like plus a thousand, which means you could bet a hundred dollars and win a thousand dollars if you hit on Sider. Uh, I wonder if like in a season where maybe the forwards, if you're saying that Zgrass is the top bet and you see him as like a 50 to 60 point forward, maybe that's a season where there's a chance that a defenseman maybe has a better chance than usual to take this award, kind of like an Aaron Ekblad back when he was a rookie. So uh, what do you think about Sider and his chances to win? 10 to, ten to 1 odds I like. Yeah, the I mean, the odds are good for him. He's he's seventh on this list, by the way, just in terms of uh, what order Odd Shark has him in. And yeah, I definitely think he's one of those value bets. Mort Sider is really, really good. He had nearly half point per game in the AHL back in 1920. And then this season, he was over in Rogla for the SHL. And I mean, he was just wrecking dudes. He's, he's a big physical guy and he was absolutely manhandling people. I mean, he's six foot four. He was only like 19 though, for most of the season, but he was like the best defenseman on that team. Actually quite literally the best defenseman on that team. He was the SHL defenseman of the year, actually not rookie defenseman of the entire SHL. That's impressive for a guy who just turned 20 in April and I wanted to put a little bit of context the the SHL, which is a really good league. I mean, a goal in the SHL is worth uh, nearly 0.6 of, of what it is in the NHL. So it, you know, it's definitely one of the best leagues outside North America. He also played against men at the World Championship and was the best defenseman at the World Championship. Again, that's a that's a tournament for men, not juniors. And he was an all-star. So there's a lot to be excited about for him. He is ready to step right into the NHL. And I think, frankly, he might be the best defenseman in Detroit right now when he steps onto the team. At worst, he's he's a second pairing guy. So he definitely is going to rack up a lot of counting stats. He's going he's gonna to hit a lot of people and he's going to be pretty dominant in his role. I don't know if that's enough to make Detroit good enough to, you know, make him you know, to give him enough spotlight to win because, you know, you look at Calder Trophy winning defenseman. You mentioned Eric Eplad who won with a 39 point pace back in 1450. And obviously we had Kale McCarr with 72 point pace last season, which just, I mean, two seasons ago, which wrecked it for everybody. But before that you had Tyler Myers, 48 point pace and nine ten, And then Barrett Jackman won with a 19 point pace back in 0203. That's kind of hilarious. So I'm pretty sure Sider could do much better than that. I think he could actually you know, do somewhat similar to what Eric Ekblad did. Um, but, you know, the, the question is, are they going to give it to a guy who just absolutely stands out and is is excellent, but scores 35, 40 points because his team is bad? I'm not sure if they'll do that, but uh, I, I think he's certainly a strong candidate and probably a guy that's even worth drafting, you know, in your in your in Kukupful or redraft league. Probably, you know, after around 12, 13, somewhere in there, you start thinking about it, depending on your team, 
if you don't have many defensemen, he's a guy who could like he, he probably will play 18 plus minutes right out of the gate. And then that he could build on that and just rack up a ton of hits, block shots. Um, I don't know who's going to run the power play. They obviously, you know, Heronic is there, but, uh, you know, Cider certainly can do that. Letty is there, but, um, you know, if they want to give it to the rookie because he's playing so well at even strength, that's possible. Probably not the case. So they probably give it to Heronic or Letty. Um, but, uh, yeah, more Cider is very, very good. And he's, he's definitely, he's a good bet at those odds. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing where you have to kind of get into the minds of the Calder voters, and would they be willing to give the Calder to someone who maybe didn't get so, so many points, like have another Barrett Jackman? With By the way, I'm taking a look at this. So 2003, Barrett Jackman wins the Calder. Do you want to guess, or do you know, like, who came second and third? I don't know. <laughs> okay, t- get this. Second place uh, was Henrik Zetterberg, and third place was Rick Nash. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And uh, Barrett Jackman had, like you said, only 19 points in how many games? I don't know. must have been... I don't even know how this happened. Like, I don't remember this. I feel like I was following the NHL at this time, and I don't recall this guy winning the Calder at all. But yeah, in 82 games, he had 19 points. That was enough? I don't know. I'd love to go back and read some articles about how that happened. Zetterberg had 49 points for comparison. I remember watching him, and I, he was he was he was a nasty dude and, and really physical, and that was a big part of it. And he just he stepped right into the NHL and was was you know really dominant in that role, more of a physical defenseman. But yeah, I just don't think those kind of defensemen are going to win the Calder anymore. And not giving it to Zetterberg was just stupid. <laughs> well, so we'll see if any of those Jackman voters are still around to give it to Cider, even if say he's only like a thirty to thirty five point guy. Because I agree, it's kind of a reach to expect him to run you know, the power play or at least the top power play and get significant time with like they brought in Letty, who's been running the Islanders power play forever. And Heronic has had that job for a while as well. So yeah, but Cider like seems like he might be like you said, the best defenseman on the team. And if he won the defenseman of the year award in the SHL, maybe that means he could also win an award in the NHL for rookie of the year. But okay, so let's go back now. So we've covered Zgras, Caulfield, Raymond, and then we skipped four, five and six to go right to Cider. So let's go to number four. Number four, Alex Newhook. Yeah, Newhook is plus 400. Certainly, he has an amazing opportunity for a lot of good points and to have a great season. Obviously, he plays for Colorado, um, for those who didn't remember. Uh, And he, you know, they lost Jonas Johnskoy in the expansion draft. And Newhook uh, had... Has has been pretty. It did pretty well. He played this season. The new St. John's new, new Finland native had a busy 2021. He's represented Canada at the World Junior, six points in six games. Then he had an awesome second season for BC, 16 points in 12 games. He missed a few due to injury, and then when he came back, he uh, he went straight to the AHL where he had nine points in eight eight games. It was really impressive. By the way, he had the third most primary points in the NCAA for guys of his year. Uh, behind Caulfield and another guy we'll talk about later. So eventually he, when he got called up, he did get into six uh, regular season and eight playoff games. And he, uh, Instat has this uh, statistic called net XG, which is expected goals differential. Anything above 0.5 is really good. What really impresses me about Newhook is that he was pretty dominant at every level he played at, except the NHL, which is, you know, not terribly surprising but at the u20 at bc in the ahl he was dominant in all those leagues and then obviously took a little bit of a step back in the nhl but that's 
jumping several levels when you're doing that all in one season. And he had a positive Corsi in every league he played in. So he's a good player. He's good defensively. And the Avs obviously are a very good team. And they have a gigantic hole that was left in the top six. So I can't, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that he's going to get a really long look there and probably takes that spot and, you know, could even get, you know, some power play time. He should get time with, you know, at least uh, Kadri. Maybe he plays with Jost, um, fellow BC guys, which would be fun. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the situation for him is what excites me more than his individual skill. I think he's individually very skilled. But just being on Colorado and being on a team that scores a ton, playing with Kale McCarr, playing in front of an excellent defense, he's not going to have to do too much to, you know, rack up 40, 45 points. And when the right luck situation, he could get a lot more than that. And so, you know, I don't know if the voters will get it to him just because, you know, back to back winners of the um, of the color, which would happen. Um well, actually, that would be Minnesota, right? But um, I just don't know if they're going to give it to a guy like Newhook who's more of a passenger because I think that will be more of the case. But I think he has a pretty good shot at uh, winning just based on everything around him. And he is also pretty good. So I like at plus 400. I'm not sure if that's the best bet, but uh, I think he has a pretty good chance. Yeah, I think I'm with you that it seems like he'd have to do a whole heck of a lot to convince the voters that like he was such a great, even if he gets a lot of points, people would be like, well, yeah, because he was playing with all these great players. He'd have to probably do like really, really well to convince people that like he deserves it and he wasn't just kind of getting lucky to be in a good situation. Though I see he's like listed as a center. Uh, you're saying that you think he could potentially play on the second line where Donskoy played. You're thinking that he would play on the wing potentially? Yeah, I think so. He he is naturally a center, but he has played mostly wing in the NHL. And and they have, I mean, he's not going to displace McKinnon or Kadri, right? And Comfort can play center. Yost has has been pretty decent in that role. Uh, he's evolved into a pretty decent third line center. So uh, you don't want Alex Newhook on your fourth line. That's not where he's going to thrive. So I imagine, you know, I, I imagine him next to Kadri. And, and maybe even when they sometimes split up that top line and, and move Landeskog or Rantanen down, maybe he gets a look up there and wouldn't that be dynamite, right? Yeah, well, definitely that'll be the kind of guy that for sure on that next episode of Keeping Carlson or Short Shifts, if uh, you know those lines are changing, we'll be like telling everyone, go grab Alex Newhook. He's been practicing on the McKinnon line. Don't even wait. Just grab him now. But I got to tell you, Victor, I don't think he's cracking the top six because I've already got another rookie that I think has a better shot. I don't even know if he's a rookie, but he's another player for my amazing minors list in our Dynasty League. And that's Mikhail Maltsev, okay? Who was traded in the Ryan Graves deal uh, to New Jersey. So, uh, sorry, that's Maltsev's spot, not uh, New Hooks. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic here, but again, the the sad players that I have to get excited about in my minor system. But, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, if he plays on the in the top six, if he's playing with, like, Burakovsky and Kadri on line two, that's a good spot. Uh, I don't know if I would draft him in a one-year league, but definitely someone I'd have high on my watch list. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, he, I mean, you know, it depends on what you do, like to do with your last picks. I know some people like to get, you know, guys on off days for the for the first week. Some guys want to, you know, see if they can get someone that may pop off in the first week or two. So if that's your strategy, then there are certainly worse options in Newhook because you never know. There could be an injury in training camp, and then all of a sudden Newhook gets gifted a spot, you know, right there next to McKinnon or Kadri in the power play. So uh, that, that there could be worse things, but yeah, my, my, I wouldn't, I imagine he's probably, you know, just a watch guy and, uh, and definitely, yeah, if he gets the deployment, jump on him. 
Yeah, I, like obviously, like your podcast, my podcast, we'll be like talking about the preseason lines, and if there's anything that's really standing out, obviously that would be big if he was, you know, getting on the top line and like displacing Rantanen, who's going to play on line two, or, or probably that wouldn't happen. Maybe Landis Scott goes to line two, and they try a new hook with McKinnon and Rantanen, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely be letting our listeners know if we're noticing that happening. Uh, all right, so let's go to uh, next on the list. Yeah, at fifth, uh, plus seven fifty is Vasily Podkolzin. And Podkolzin is is most likely going to be in the NHL this year, so at least there's that. And you know you have you have some some room there in in Vancouver. They have obviously some pretty nice uh, top six forwards, and you know Connor Garland coming in. I know you guys talked about that, and that's a really nice move. So most likely Podkolzin is going to be a third liner, and that's really the kind of guy he is. He's a physical play driving winger. He's kind of a bull in a china shop. He just he he's dogged on pucks, and you know. He had limited KHL time, 13-13, but, you know, he hits, um, he's physical. If he gets enough time on ice, he will be valuable, probably even in a redraft league, at least as a a depth peripheral guy. Um, But I don't think that the points are really going to be there. So I don't think a guy like him who a successful Calder season or rookie season would probably be 25 points, maybe 30. Uh, I don't think a player like him could, could win the Calder, especially with so many other stars on Vancouver. I just don't see him having a, a large enough role to do that. So I don't like this bet at all. I like the player. I think he's, you know, he will be valuable in like a bangers cats league, or maybe even a points league that gives you credit for hits and stuff like that. I think he could be pretty serviceable. And if he evolves into a, eventually a second or top line winger, which I think he could, he could be one of those, uh, you know, Tom Wilson types, not with the stupid hits and suspensions, but, you know, a physical guy who could also put up points, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, but, you know, he could be a good late round flyer as, as a good depth piece that, uh, you know, injuries or whatever could slide up and, and get a little bit more, but I would not bet on him to win the call there. No. Yeah, like uh, for him to be a Tom Wilson, he needs to be playing with an Ovi and not like on the third line being centered by whatever Jason right. Dickinson and I don't know, playing with Tanner Pearson on the other wing. Uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine. Like, again, we look at the Canucks. It's kind of like uh, Detroit we were talking about before. I feel like the top six seems pretty locked in, at least to me. I'd imagine you've got like Patterson, Miller, Besser as one line. And then you got Garland, Horvat, and I'm imagining Niels Hoaglander earned a spot in the top six. And I think there you go. So you would need an injury for Pod Colson to get in there. Let's say, uh, you had the option in our dynasty league. You could have Hoaglander or Pod Colson right now. Who do you think is the better Canucks prospect? Oh, that's tough. I- I'm going to have to go with Pod Colson um, because I think that uh, Hoaglander is is destined to be a middle six guy, and I'm not sure that he has enough scoring to you know be more valuable than all the other th- stuff that Pod Colson is going to do. So and he doesn't he doesn't hit and shoot enough to be more valuable to me. So I don't, Pod Colson's not there now, but give him two or three years and he, he will be a top six player and he will be hitting a ton. And with all that ice time, um, I think that, uh, especially with like the takeaways that we give credit for, uh, I think he's going to do that a lot. So yeah, give me Pod Colson, but neither are like super exciting in, uh, in just points leagues. Okay, fair enough. So we've still got a bunch more players to go, both players that were listed by the odds makers, and then Victor's picks for who he thinks should have been listed as the best bets from odds makers. So we'll get to all of that in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. So, Victor, we've gone through Zgrass, Caulfield, Raymond, Newhook, Podkolzin, Moritz Sider, 
I feel like it might be time to talk about a goalie, right? Is, is, is there a goalie that you think is the best bet? I know according to Vegas odds, the next best bet is Spencer Knight over in Florida at plus 800. Uh, I see here in the chat that Shane is saying that's uh, his pick. So what do you think? Is that a good bet at plus 800, 8 to 1 odds for Spencer Knight? It is. Yeah, Shane's a smart guy. We uh, We agree often on things. And I definitely like Spencer Knight. He is really good, and so is Florida. I mean, it was so unfortunate that they had to play the Stanley Cup champs in round one, right? I mean, that was just really difficult, and they played really well. They put up one of the best fights, uh, maybe second to the Islanders, but um, Florida is really good. And Spencer Knight showed, you know, very small sample size, but, uh, you know, he's he's pretty good. Uh, only four starts in the regular season, but we'll, we'll remember a couple of those uh, those playoff performances. He just was totally unflappable, right? I mean, he, he just seemed like it didn't bother him at all, the pressure of the situation. And we've seen Bob being not good, or I guess the best I could say is inconsistent because he's been okay at times, but uh, really bad at other times. Of course, the contract dictates a lot, but I think that Florida is ready to win. And if they're not winning with Bob, they're going to put Spencer Knight in there. Um, there isn't the three-headed monster anymore because Jeter has gone to Seattle. So I think that Spencer Knight wins the job. And I think that they go with the hot hand. And I think he will be the hot hand. And he will um, be do really well. I don't know that it'll be enough to win the Calder, uh, especially with Bob there. Um, if he eats into those you know, starts and wins a little bit. But uh, I definitely like him as the best goalie to win. He's higher on my list than six. I'll say that uh, until we get to that point. But uh, I, I imagine, you know, he could he could get up there in the in the you know thirty win range, uh, and if he does that, and you know, Florida finishes near the top of the division, which I think that they probably should. I think that he'll he'll get some consideration, and and I think it'll be warranted. So yeah, I like Spencer Knight a lot. He is definitely one of the best young goalies around, uh, and at plus eight hundred, that's a smart bet. Yeah, I really like Knight for just next season for all the reasons you said. It seems like he has a really decent chance to get a bunch of starts. I guess, you know, it really depends. I almost feel like it's going to be hard, like you said, for a goalie who's playing like 50% or maybe even only a little bit higher than that at the time to win the Calder unless, you know, Cole Caulfield doesn't like break off like people are hoping he will like you know like maybe you could have like a Caulfield Spencer Knight Moritz Sider as the three nominees and then you're looking at really it depends on what type of Calder voter you are are you going for the guy who gave you the most points are you going for the guy who was like a really strong defenseman or are you going for this goalie who is like at such a young age helping his team go far and I think Florida by the way I, I said on a previous podcast that Florida's the team that I bet on to win the cup back their odds were like 22 to 1 or something at the time that I bet on them to win the cup now they've already gone down people I guess saw that I made that bet and realized that their their odds were wrong uh, so we'll see. Uh, but Spencer Knight is definitely going to be a big part of that because I would not have bet on Florida to win the cup at those odds if their goalie was Bobrovsky and like not a backup or I guess not even a backup, but like a tandem guy like Knight. So yeah, I'll be interested also to get your thoughts on like just in general, maybe like, now's a good time to ask you like last year when we did this show, we were talking about all of these rookie goalies, right? Like Shostyorkin, Sorokin. I'm not sure if Samsonov was a rookie, but he was like in that conversation with like this new crop of young goalies like uh oh there's of course Thatcher Demko who you famously said what was he he's not top 20 or he's not top 30 like you were super down on Demko do you remember what the number was 15 I said that there were <laughs> there were maybe 15 guys I like better than him but that was a that was a context specific um comment in that I thought I thought that at the time he hadn't shown 
uh, or he had demonstrated that he was maybe not as good because some of his advanced numbers were kind of iffy uh, and the sample size was small. So I was, I was concerned about that. And there were some guys that had big upside, you know, and there were certainly five or six that a lot of people agreed with me on. And then a lot of people said he should have been in that seven to eight range. And you know what, the, the reality is that he absolutely showed it this year. I mean, there's no question in my mind now that he is one of those top goalies and he just needed to show it. And he did. So uh, absolutely on board with him now and now that he has enough of a sample size because you look at the whole body of of work for him and throughout all of his starts in the nhl he has strong numbers um strong numbers in uh, when you come you combine everything together which i was just i was waiting for that right i was just waiting for there to be a large enough sample size and i'm just pulling it up now he has uh in his career now 71 games he has a positive Delta Fenwick of 0.18, seven goals save above average, and uh, almost six goals save above expected. So when you when you put it all together, there was a rough patch in there, which is what I was looking at at the time. Um, but he's uh, he's definitely won me over now, which I did say on our team preview uh, in the Vancouver Canucks on our podcast. And yeah, of course, people never want to let me live that down. And that's okay. Uh, well, hey, you got to sometimes uh, take a swing there. And yeah, obviously Demko, everyone was so excited about him like uh, going into last season because of that crazy playoff run from the year before. And you were just preaching uh, caution, just like you're saying now about Cole Caulfield. So maybe this is a good sign for Caulfield. But yeah, I, I have a feeling this is going to be the last debate about that. Demko, Brian and I are doing our <laughs> Schmore Goalies Board episode next week. And he and I have already been, I think, debating a little bit on the Discord server for our patrons where I'm a lot higher on Demko for next season. I have him like in my, I guess, third team tier of goalies like sort of uh, when i'm looking at goalies for next year i sort of have like but it's like really like second tier like i have vasilevsky tier one alone hellebuck tier two and then like a few guys in tier three is just like guys who i expect to play a lot have decent numbers and i have demko in there and brian i don't think is as confident uh so that'll be a debate for next week Anyways, the question i wanted to ask you was of all of these under 25 goalies or maybe like sorokin and Shostyorkin are like already at 25 like these like new newish goalies in the league like you know not counting like your vasilevsky's and hellebuck's just like look at goalies who've only been playing for a year or two like i'm just curious to know where spencer knight slots in for you like if we were doing a draft where let's say we're drafting goalies who have played fewer than 100 games uh like is knight someone that you have like right at the top of that list or is he still like a level below your shastyorkins and sorokins and uh you know demko's he's definitely below those two russians you mentioned shastyorkin and sorokin i would take ahead of him and certainly sorokin i mean his situation is just phenomenal on long island right i mean they they're it's so good for any goalie and he's a great goalie. Just Jerkin's going to get more of the volume. So I like that. And eventually New York's going to be really good. Um, but yeah, probably, I mean, I don't have the full list in front of me, but I think he's probably right in there. He's ahead of uh, Knight would be ahead of Samsonov for me. I think with Demko, it would be close. Um, Florida is obviously, I think much better than Vancouver. So that would help in terms of that situation. But yeah, I like him probably in that three, four range. Um, I did, draft him and our dynasty. Uh, he's, he's the one high end goalie that I took fairly early. Um, and that's because I had him, um, pretty highly ranked. Uh, I'd had a bunch of those Russians and some of the other guys ranked high, but I liked Knight a lot. And so he's the guy that I ended up getting. All right. So Matt and I have Cal Peterson on our team. Would you make that swap Peterson for Spencer Knight? Definitely not. Okay. Well, worth a try. All right. So who's next on this list of, uh, Calder candidates, uh, in terms of their odds. That was a good try, though. Um, 
Got to give you props for that. So the next guy, plus 1,200, Quinton Byfield. Um, Byfield was on this list last year, and I, I laughed that off because I didn't think he'd even play in the NHL. I mean, it turns out he did play in the NHL, but not a lot. Certainly not enough to win the Calder. I mean, six games. Um, wasn't a big sample size, but I mean, the thing about about Byfield to remember is that, I mean, he was, and we'll keep saying this, he was super young for his draft year. He was one of the youngest by far. Um, and he was, you know, almost a 2021 guy. And so keeping in mind how young he was, he was an 18 year old, the entire draft plus one season that he, that he just completed. He should have been the OHL and he should have been too young to play in the NA, the AHL. But uh, because of the exception they made for COVID, he did play. And he was awesome. 20 points in 32 games. Uh, a lot of them came at the end. He had a little bit of an adjustment at the beginning, as, as you would expect. But uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome for an 18 year old. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the issue, I think, with Byfield and getting too excited about him. I mean, you know, I'm super excited about him. I've talked about him before on this podcast. I rave about him on our podcast. But uh, he's not there yet. You know, they have they have Kopitar. They have to know. He's not going to be a top six center right now. Eventually he will be their top center. He'll be their one C someday, but that day is not today. It's not this season. So most likely he'll play center on the third line and they'll, they'll, they should keep him there and let him develop, but it's possible that he plays wing. Like if they slide him up to Kopitar's wing, I think that could be very interesting. And if he plays the wing with Kopitar gets power play time, then yeah, I could definitely see that uh, if he, if he um, gets the right deployment, um, I do think LA is going to be better than people think. I mean, this Deneau signing was was huge. I think that Dowdy clearly didn't care about last season, and when Dowdy cares, he's a much better player than when he doesn't care. Uh, Edler coming in, you know, he's kind of older, but uh, you know, he's still a serviceable guy, and they have some decent depth. So, and and that that and of course the Pacific Division is terrible outside of Vegas. So. I think that they have a decent chance of making the playoffs. So if Byfield is a, is a big part of their success at three C or maybe he slides over to the wing and puts up, you know, 45, 50 plus points, then I could see him uh, getting some votes, but uh, most likely I, I don't, I don't think he has the best odds love the player, but the situation I'm not sure will be there for him. Um, maybe a decent flyer in a, in a redraft league though, because if he does end up, uh, on that wing, I think that he could um, be pretty valuable. He, you know, he does hit a decent amount and, and can shoot. So um, yeah, might be, might be a guy to take a flyer on, but most likely I'd just watch him. Yeah. Sounds like kind of an Alex Newhook situation where you're saying he's generally supposed to be a center. Obviously if he slots in at wing on a top line, then we have to readjust our expectations. Maybe there's something there. And so we'll have to pay attention in the preseason. The Kings, you know, you imagine, let's say they stick with Kopitar. I follow Dustin Brown. Like I can imagine them switching it up, but just let's say they have that as the top line. Then you've got Deneau centering. Obviously Victor Arvidsson's going to be there in the top six. And then the other spot, like, I don't know, Adrian Campe maybe is a decent bet, but he's been in, you know, the third line and then top power play for a lot of the previous few seasons like there's not an obvious guy i see jumping into that top six unless uh it's this next guy on the list who's also on the kings that brian brought up we did our draft last episode that we did a regular episode because ben did that interview about the islanders which was awesome by the way and definitely check it out with uh, arthur staple but before that last sunday we recorded an episode on keeping carlson where myself Brian, Ben Burnett, and Dave Betton, we did this draft where we each took a player from each team. And once one player took a player from a team, you had to go down the list. And all four of us had to take a player from that team. And when we got to LA and 
Bryant, I think, had third or fourth pick on LA after, you know, Kopitar and Arvidsson had been taken. And he was like looking and wondering, who is this Vladimir Tkachev guy? Like, why am I seeing him in some different projections? So do you see this Tkachev guy as someone that should have been mentioned as much on that podcast as he was? Like, is he someone that can maybe slot in and take one of those top six wing spots? I don't think so. And by the way, I have to give Ben props for calling out Brian's wishy-washiness on that episode. That was crazy. He went back <laughs> and forth like five times. I was like, come on, man. Um, but I'm glad he brought him up because he is an interesting guy for sure. And and you always have to be careful, though, when you're talking about these guys who play for Scott St. Petersburg. I mean, that team is just so good. They have so much talent and he's played for them for a couple seasons. And lo and behold, when he didn't play for them, uh, his his numbers weren't quite as good. So I'm wondering if it's just a product of being on a really good team. Uh, also adjusting, obviously, to the um, North American ice is going to be difficult, but he was good. I mean, he had almost 18 minutes time on ice. He had a ton of power play time. So, you know, he's used to getting power play opportunities and certainly cashed in on there. I was talking before about the net XG. His was 0.59. So a little bit above that 0.5 mark that is good uh, and, and drove play pretty well. So, I, you know, he's obviously a decent player, but is he better than established guys like Dustin Brown, Kempe, and I follow? I mean, I don't know. Adjusting to the smaller ice can be really difficult for some guys. So I don't think that they're going to use him in a super prominent role. Uh, and I am very skeptical that he's going to get enough points to have any Calder consideration. I think this is this is one of those where I saw that and I was like, wow, that's the I definitely cannot get on board with that. Even at plus twelve hundred, I don't think I would bet that. I I think that if he gets thirty points, uh, he should be happy about that. So I think that he'll get some looks, but probably will end up in the bottom six and end up back in Russia. I'm not super excited about him. Oh, maybe even end up back in Russia. Okay, by the way, if people don't know who we're talking about, on some like fantasy platforms, I see his name is spelled Tikachev, T-K-A-C-H-E-V. Then other ones, it's spelled Tikachev, like with a Y-O-V at the end. So I guess you can check both to find out who we're talking about. But Victor's saying it doesn't matter because he's like maybe a 30-point guy at best. So you're saying that if you had to pick one guy for who's going to get the more points next season, you'd take Byfield over uh, Tikachev? Every day of the week. Okay, there you go. Uh, all right, so next up here, we've got our first Toronto player, who I'm surprised... Like, it's kind of funny that the Vegas oddsmakers have Nick Robertson at plus 1,600, just because you think they can make it lower and there'd still be bets on him, just because all the crazy Leafs fans, who always assume that all the Leafs players are going to be good. Or maybe now the new like form of Leafs fan is assuming everyone's going to be bad. I'm not sure. But uh, obviously, you'll talk about the player. I'll just say, <laughs> I like the spot that he could potentially be in. Uh, you know, the Leafs have... Uh, this hole with Zach Hyman out of the lineup. I wonder if Robertson is someone who gets a shot to play, you know, with Tavares and say Nylander on that second line, if they have Matthews Marner, I mean, he could also play with Matthews and Marner. So very interested to hear your thoughts on this Nick Robertson. And if you think he's ready to step in and be a top six guy in Toronto, because obviously that upside would be huge. The worst Robertson brother, right? <laughs> Harsh. I always like to make that joke. Is um, there, is there a third? Uh, there, no, but, uh, no, Jason, I was, I was talking about Jason. Okay. Oh, right. No, no. I was just wondering if like, you're even like putting him below someone else. Oh, no, 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 no. I just like to give Leafs fans, uh, palpitations. No, Nick Robertson is very good. Um, he, he's much smaller than Jason actually, which is kind of interesting, but, uh, no, I think that he, he's, he's going to get some opportunity and he certainly is an exciting player. He's really undersized. I think you have to remember that five, nine, but man, is he fast? 
Um, really good skater. You, you know, he's had a couple of opportunities here and there to play in the NHL. He played in the in the bubble playoffs. He had a, a few games this year, but it, he, I think the Maple Leafs smartly sent him down uh, to do to get some AHL time. He hadn't even had some AHL time, so he did that, and you know, he did really well. Sixteen points in twenty one games. Of course, Leafs being a cap strap team, they're going to have to give opportunities to some of the guys who are inexpensive. And so, uh, you know, from what I can tell and the people I've talked to that I trust that um, follow Leafs really closely and are are critical, um, they think he's going to get an opportunity. And I think that, you know, he certainly has the skill. Um, He's shown that he can be a pretty decent two way guy and he has he has scoring upside. Um, does that mean he gets on the, the top six? I mean, I think a lot of people are, are, are hoping he can step right into that Hyman role. Um, that would be amazing. I hope he gets a shot uh, and he could certainly do that. And if he does that and he sticks with Matthews and, and Marner the whole season, then, then yeah, he definitely will get all the recognition and he will be uh, in the running. I'm not sure that he does that though. I think that they, um, I think he had a pretty good chance or a better chance before they signed Bunting, Kasha, Richie, Gabriel, I think that Robertson will be better than all those guys, but right now I'm not sure he's better than them. I mean, Gabriel probably better than him, but I'm not sure if he's better than the other guys. And they may just want a certain type of player on that top line, more of a Nick Ritchie or Akashi type. I'm not sure. So, you know, we'll have to see obviously, but if, if there are injuries or if he really impresses in camp, that's definitely one that I would watch for. And if he's getting the opportunity in camp, then absolutely he could be really good. Um, I'm not sure that I would draft him though. I mean, there's so many Leafs fans are probably going to draft him in a redraft league and maybe higher than I'm willing to, but if he's there towards the the very end, um, there are certainly worse options. Um, so yeah, Nick Robinson at plus 1600, a lot has to go right for him to, to get there. I mean, I think the most likely scenario is that he plays, you know, maybe 20 or 30 games, not even a full season, in the NHL get some AHL time. And that's not going to do it for the Calder, obviously. But uh, if he really sticks with the one of the top two lines, which I think he has all the skill to do, um, then then yeah, he he will he will probably get enough to be in contention. Maybe forty five fifty is reasonable, um, but I just don't think that's the most likely outcome. So I, I probably wouldn't bet that, but it's it's not a bad bet for sure. I mean, there's a lot of ifs there. And then at the end, you're saying maybe then he'll get like 45, 50 points. It seems like very right. unlikely that you could win the Calder. Also, it would be a situation like what we talked about with Newhook, right? Even if he does get, let's say, 55 points, has a really good season, people might just say, yeah, it's because you were playing with Matthews and Marner. So how much credit are we really going to give you compared to like, you know, Moritz Sider, who's like the top defenseman on your team, or a Spencer Knight, who's like leading their team to the playoffs, or like a Cole Caulfield, who's like leading the Habs in scoring potentially. So, you know, like, I just feel like it would be really hard for him and like i don't really care what his odds are i wouldn't be betting on him to win the calder this year but definitely a guy i'm going to be watching closely again in training camp just like new hook just like a byfield like if he can slot in to that top six there's obviously nice upside there for your fantasy purposes but okay so that is nick robertson uh two more guys i'm seeing here that were listed in these vegas odds yeah the next one is plus 1800 so pretty long odds matt boldy and I absolutely love Matt Boldy. He's a fantastic player. He was, you know, I think a lot of Americans uh, got, you know, pretty high praise for their contributions to that World Junior Championship. But Boldy was one of the unheralded guys. He was on the line with Caulfield um, and I think it was Beniers. They were amazing. And that third line that they were on really dominated. And he did, he went from that to, you know, going back to Boston College and just absolutely tearing it up 31 points in 22 games he got 
he went to the Iowa Wild and had 18 points in 14 games. So he was just absolutely dominant everywhere he played this season. I was so hoping that he would get into some games for the Wild, especially as they were struggling against Vegas. Um, but they just didn't give him the opportunity. And I think that was a mistake because he he's shown that he's pretty ready for an opportunity. And it's not like they had a ton of better options, but hey, I don't run the the wild. Um, but, you know, he is not just a scorer. He is an excellent two-way player. And that's, I think, really going to help him get the opportunity because he is not someone that you're going to worry about throwing out there and then getting scored on um, NHL coaches don't like that for some reason. And I don't think Boldy is going to be that kind of a liability. So I think that the Boldy has a pretty good shot, actually better than the 18, better than 11th on this list. I mean, you know, he's, he's should make the NHL, but uh, you know, it's, it's also possible that he won't. I think it's pretty clear. He's going to play for the wild. I just don't know if it's the Iowa wild or the Minnesota wild. Okay. So if he plays in Iowa, obviously there's no chance, um, but you know, maybe he gets called up. It's not like the wild are dripping with a uh, winger talent. Um, but the most likely scenario, even if he gets up on the wild, is, is probably a middle six wing role. So is that enough on the wild to score you know, enough points to turn heads? I'm not so sure, but I, I do really like him as a player. And I think that he will have a strong season. Um, he, he wouldn't be one of my top picks, though, for the wild, for the uh, Calder. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, like maybe Minnesota doesn't have like the most amazing wingers uh, in terms of their depth, but I still think like you've got obviously Kaprizov and Fiala, and then like you also have Zuccarello and like Jordan Greenway. I feel like it would be tough for Boldy to crack the top six as a winger there, even just with those guys I just mentioned. Uh, we have a question in the chat from Math- Matthew Schwinnard asking like, how about Marco Rossi? Remember, this is not uh, Victor's list, right? We're going through right now the Vegas odds list, and then afterwards Victor will give us this. But yeah, I was wondering also, like I feel like Rossi is someone who... Uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about him for next year if he plays, because obviously we've been waiting for Minnesota to have a top-line center worthy of getting to play a season with Kirill Kaprizov, and no disrespect to Victor Rask, but I feel like if someone like a Rossi can step in, that's like a much better situation than Boldy being like a third-line winger. But okay, we've got one more player in this Vegas list, and then we'll get to your list of who you think are the best bets to win the Calder. We should definitely disrespect Mr. Rask. He's not very good at oh, hockey. okay. So... I'm fine with that. But yeah, let's go with the last one here. And that is Jamie Drysdale. Jamie Drysdale plus 2,500. That's pretty long odds. So, uh, you know, he's he's interesting, right? Because we talked about Zegris. Who's he going to play with? Well, Drysdale, you know, he was impressive this year. He was another one who should have been in the OHL. He played for the Otters in his draft uh, season. And there was nowhere for him to play this season. So he came up to the San Diego goals in the AHL. And he, well, I should also mention, he was amazing for Canada at the World Junior Championships. And every time he stepped on the ice, I was cringing that he was going to do something amazing. Um, but, uh, and he did a lot of times. Um, and he played really well for the goals. I mean, I think he stepped into that pro level and was just super impressive right off the bat. Um, good all. I mean, I think some people think of Drysdale as just an all offensive guy. He's not, he's really good in both ends. He's good, good stick position. He's a good skater. Um, he's not, a, he's not a liability out there just looking for power play time. He's, he's really fantastic. So, uh, and then he got, came up to the NHL and, and he was, you know, impressive. He had a couple of stints and towards the end, he was really earning a ton of ice time and getting the majority of the power play time, which it's been a long time since we had a Ducks power play quarterback on defense that was really valuable for fantasy, right? I mean, Cam Fowler just constantly disappoints everybody with his fantasy production. So 
you know, I think Drysdale is going to be that guy. He was fifth on the ice uh, on the team for defense ice time. And one of those guys ahead of him was Hayden Fleury, who's now a Kraken. So he should get more and more. And I think that he probably will get that power play time. Um, I think that I would take Cider ahead of him in terms of Calder likelihood. Um, be, and, and I think also Cider is better than Drysdale, but it, Drysdale is more offensive. So two or three years down the line, uh, if you just want an offensive PPQB, it's probably Drysdale. But I think that Drysdale could be a pretty decent bet for sure. I like him. Um, you know, I don't know that uh, he's going to score enough points, though. I mean, between him and Zegris, if the Ducks are not horrible, then that would be a success. And I just don't know if that's going to be enough for even if he has a great season, you know, 40 points, are they going to give him the call there? I just don't see it. Um, but I think that he is going to be valuable this season in fantasy. So he's someone that I would certainly think about drafting um, towards the, the, you know, the mid teen rounds. Cause I think that he probably could earn that power play quarterback job as early as this season. Yeah. And even on a bad team, if you could have the top power play quarterback on a team, like as a depth defenseman on your fantasy roster, that's not so bad. And I got to say at 25 to one odds, like Drysdale's not a bad bet. Like just because if he's going to have a decent shot at being the top power play defenseman on his team, I wonder if that's going to lead to him being one of the higher scoring defensemen in terms of rookies this year, probably has a chance to be a higher scoring defenseman than Sider, just because we talked about those guys ahead of Sider on the depth chart in Detroit for power play roles and more offensive roles. So yeah, Drysdale, I mean, obviously it's a long shot, but a 25 to one throw down 10 bucks and you can win 250. I don't think it's the craziest thing that could happen. Like obviously you'll just need, Anaheim to not be terrible and then people will be wondering well how was it that Anaheim wasn't terrible and that's a big if like that's a big thing to have to bet on but like there's a chance Anaheim's not terrible they're not like Buffalo and Arizona in terms of hopelessness in my opinion I think they're that next level of hopelessness (laughs) like a little bit less hopeless so if they're even just like fine not the worst worst team like they've been the last couple of years then you're gonna ask like well why was that the case and then you look at well they had this defenseman who really helped played big minutes as a rookie next thing you know maybe he's in the conversation for the calder so i definitely like those odds i think i agree with you like i obviously i don't think it's a uh strong bet in terms of like i wouldn't like be starting to plan my retirement based on my jamie drysdale bet but i think that would be a fun swing especially at 25 to 1 definitely yeah the odds the odds are are nice there i mean certainly if you're looking at some of the the higher like like Raymond at plus 300 I'm putting a bet down on on Drysdale over Raymond in any day for sure yeah well I mean I'm looking at it like give me a player who's gonna be like have a chance to be like the main guy on his team right like Kaprizov won it last year he was the best on the team like Makar won it the year before the best defenseman on on Colorado like if you're gonna win the Calder you're probably like having this really great season and you're like a standout, you know, as opposed to like, you know, these guys like, you know, Zgrass is another example of someone like he might be like the top player on the team. That's why his odds are so great. But you know, when we're talking about our, you know, uh, Nick Robertson's for example, or Alex Newhooks, like, again, they have to like overcome the fact that people are going to say, yeah, they were just riding coattails. No one's going to say that about Jamie Drysdale. If he puts up like a 40 point rookie season and, you know, has decent, like even just like ice time, I feel like people will really respect that uh, just because it's probably hard to do on Anna. All right, so now... I guess I said before we were at the main event going through the Vegas odds, but I guess this is really the main event because this is where we actually get your opinion on who you're thinking are the players who have the best chance at winning the Calder this year. So I'm really excited to uh, run through your list. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of it is what you just said. 
to win the Calder, you have to be the man, right? Kaprizov was the man. Makar certainly was on a good team, but he was just so impressive. You run down the list. These guys were the man on their team. And for that reason, I do have Trevor Zegras at top for me, even though, you know, we gushed about Caulfield and some other guys. But I think if, if Zegras is as good as I think he can be, even if he only scores like 45, 50 points, that might be the highest scoring forward on the team, the highest scoring skater on the team. And he will, um, you know, he'll do everything for them. He'll, he'll run the power play and he'll be the top line center. And that might be enough to, to win it. And, and certainly, you know, it would take a little bit of muted scoring from other rookies as we talked about, or maybe not a stellar performance from a goalie, but that's why I like Zegers because he's going to be the man and he's going to get all the ice time and all the notoriety and all the recognition. There's going to be no one really to deflect it from him. Maybe, maybe Drysdale, but uh, I don't think it'll be enough. So he's the guy I like the best. Do you want me to run through the rest? No, I, I mean, I don't have much to say. Like I, I kind of think it's less likely. Like I don't think I'd have him number one on my list. Like your reasoning though is, is perfect, right? Like Anaheim's going to need to lean on him to have any chance, but that's a lot of pressure also to put on a player. Like normally a rookie gets at least one or two good players to play with. And we're talking like Max Comtois and Ricard Raquel as like probably the best options he'll have. So uh, I think it's a, uh, it's a, uh, the story is potentially there for him to win the Calder, but it's it's going to be a tough sledding situation for Trevor Zegras. So I don't I don't think I'd have him number one on my list, but I, I get why you do. Yeah, you're right. And and you know, come to our Raquel are good players, but they're not great players, right? So um, that's a bit of the rub for sure. Um, the guy I have second on my list, Spencer Knight. I think that if a goalie wins it, it's going to be him. He as we everything we mentioned before, Florida being good, him you know stealing the job. I love. Spencer Knight. Um, do you think there's a goalie that has a better chance than him? Uh, so we're going to get to a few later on. Is it okay if I just throw out some names, or do you want me to save it for when you bring them up for the surprise? What's the better podcasting? Let's save it. Okay, let's save it. So yeah, there's a couple other names, but no, I think Spencer Knight is definitely the goalie that has the best chance, just because we just totally see a path for him, like we've said, to be like steal the job on a good team and take Florida to like a really strong season and potentially a good playoff run. Like we all saw what they did in the off season to really shore up this team, getting Sam Reinhardt, like locking in Sam Bennett. And now like if Spencer Knight can have this like really solid like nine twenty save percentage rookie season even if he only plays half the games it would be really hard to ignore depending obviously what other players do so i i like him yeah i think and by the way those eight to one odds that's not a bad bet at all like i wouldn't be too uh reticent to drop down like 50 bucks and then you could win what is it 300 uh that's not i don't know something no 400 i know how to math okay so yeah uh (laughs) i like spencer knight here yeah i agree with you i'd have him ahead of zgrass i think yeah, and certainly, yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a reasonable. I think those two are close. I, I think these top three are actually really close because my number three is Cole Caulfield. We gushed about him earlier. Being on a better team, having an elite centerman. Uh, well, maybe we shouldn't call him elite, but Suzuki is an elite playmaker. I think we can say that. And I think he's headed towards being an elite um, 1C in the league. He's already been very, very good. So they're going to probably be together on the power play at even strength. Um, the only issue might be, well, he had a good team around him. He had a lot of support. Is he, does he really deserve it? Um, I think he probably overcomes a lot of those questions. And I, I, I think there's no question he's going to put up a ton of points. So he, he probably will finish with the most points. Uh, it'll be interesting to see though, whether people make the argument for someone with fewer points like Zegris or, you know, maybe some of the other guys we talk about later, but Cole Caulfield, definitely a strong candidate and a good bet here. 
Yeah, I just feel like Suzuki still doesn't have that same air around him as, like, obviously a Kopitar and a McKinnon, you know? Like, I feel like if Kafka has a really good season, they're not going to be like, oh, it's just because of Suzuki. I feel like people would say, like, they both really complemented each other very well and really clicked. So I think that uh, if he has, like, a really good season, like 70 points or whatever, I think he'd run away with it. Yeah, probably. Um, and, and I think that's reasonable. He'll need some some high percentages, which, you know, he shot 8% last year. I don't think he's an 8% shooter. I think he's much better than that. So he certainly could have some variants go his way and pop off for quite a few more. Um, so that's my one, two, three, Zegris, Knight, Caulfield. And then we go off the board from the where the betters didn't even rank. And this is Philip Tomasino, who is a Nashville draft pick, 24th overall from 2019. Tomasino is probably one of the most unheralded prospects that people just don't talk enough about. And he is just phenomenal. He's another guy who was an OHL uh, player and he, he was drafted out of the OHL um, had over point per game for Niagara in his draft season and had showed really well at the world juniors. And he spent last the previous season splitting OHL time between two different teams. And then this year he was going to be in the OHL, but uh, since that didn't happen, he played in the AHL. There's quite a few of these guys who played in the AHL and they should have been too young. Um, and this whole uh, CHL NHL agreement, you know, sounds like hopefully it'll be reexamined a little bit, but it's pretty clear that he was just fine as a 19 year old playing in the AHL. If you look at AHL scoring for 19 year olds, remember most of these guys, if they're CHL guys aren't playing in the AHL, but if they came from overseas or they didn't have an agreement, um, they could play in there. But uh, Tomasino was his his 32 points in 29 games uh, was the third best ever point per game pace for a 19 year old in the AHL. The only two guys ahead of him, William Nylander and Miko Rantanen, those guys are pretty good. And the guys behind him, Jakob Vrana, Christian Fisher, Martin Nietzsche, so also some pretty good guys. You know, Tomasino has nothing left to prove in the AHL. He absolutely tore that league down, uh, and his net XG was 0. .74, 54% Corsi, really, really good. He's just an excellent two-way player, too. He's not all offense. He's got a good stick. Uh, you see several takeaways, um, maybe not a game, but you often see him getting takeaways and he's super fast. Like his speed is definitely ready. So is his shot for the NHL. So he's probably the best forward who has not yet at least played one NHL game, right? Some of the, some of the really better ones that we've talked about have had a couple games here and there. So he's, he probably fits that role and he's probably going to make the predators. He's probably going to be, um, you know, in the middle six, maybe to start, but I, I, I imagine he earns a role. I mean, I think he's, He's going to be better probably in not too long than Luke Kunin. Um, you know, Tolvanen obviously has a certain role that he can fill with that shot. So he probably has a top six spot. Um, but even if he's in the middle six, you know, he probably could have some pretty decent value. And if he gets some power play time, I just, I think Tomasino is going to have a big year. And on that Nashville team, he doesn't have a whole lot of high scores to outshine. I mean, probably he's not going to get more than, than Forsberg, right? But then after that, we have a bunch of you know guys who maybe will get 50 55 points so that's not a super high bar to uh to uh you know climb over so i like thomas you know what do, what do you think about that yeah i mean definitely you could imagine the opportunity should be there for him in nashville like you said like i'm just looking at like a reasonable top 6 like they've they've had johansson forsberg and arvidsson for a while so arvidsson's gone i don't know let's say we put tolvanen with those two and that leaves like duchene granlund 
And then, like, who? Like, I, I feel like Thomas, like you said, like, it's, it's either Luke Coonan or Rocco Grimaldi or, I don't know, Cody Glass goes to the wing, but I think they might need him as a center. So uh, there's definitely a spot there for Tomasino with these great AHL numbers that you've brought up. Like, why shouldn't we expect him to be able to do well also in Nashville? So, yeah, I really like the situation. I think he's a really fun pick here. Too bad we can't bet on him. Let's see if uh, at some point the odds change. Too bad they don't have, like, the field. Like, that'd be pretty good if you could just do, like, plus 1,000 or something. 1,000 plus a thousand and get like the field and you can get everyone else that might be a really fun bet because we've got Tomasino and still some other guys on your list I see that weren't listed as well uh so yeah definitely someone that people should also in terms of fantasy maybe not everyone's listening to this because they want to bet on the Calder but from everything you've said I'm definitely adding him to my watch list maybe someone to draft in the last round of a draft we'll see what happens in training camp but this seems like a guy that can surprise us like you know Ellie Tolvanen last year had like good stretches where people were adding him to their fantasy teams and it sounds to me like Tomasino might be like a similar or better caliber guy so why not uh, give him a chance yeah, and Tomasino is definitely a better two-way player than Tolvanen. Tolvanen is, you know, more of that, you know, got a great shot, power play specialist kind of guy, not so good at even strength. So um, that kind of hurt um, Tolvanen a little bit in terms of his value because he kind of yo-yoed a little bit at times. But uh, Tomasino shouldn't have that problem. Um, yeah, I like him. Let's uh, let's move on to the the next guy, number five on my list, and another goalie. So here we go, uh, Jeremy Swayman or the swag man, as we sometimes refer to him, because he's got that swagger. I want to read you some numbers about Swayman. He is a super impressive goalie. Um, he's not, the, you know, 6'3". Um, he, was, he was drafted by Boston in the fourth round. And as a freshman, he played 31 games for Maine, um, 922, 272 GAA, 15-12-2-3. Uh, Similar sophomore seasons. Then he had a 939 in his junior year. And then he turned pro and he was better in the AHL than he was in the in, in college. And so the Bruins are probably thinking, hey, we should play this guy. You know, he's pretty good. You know, maybe, maybe not as good as he he's shown so far, but uh, let's put him in the NHL and see what happens. And he was fantastic. Anyone who had him knows this already, but 945 save percentage, 1.50. Um, GAA was the best of Swayman's career since he was in high school in Alaska. Um, that's ridiculous that his best season was in the NHL between high school and all those other leagues he played in. Um, Instead has this great statistic that I like called expected goals per goal conceded. So anything, so if you're at one expected goals per goal conceded, that's exactly how many you should have given up. If you're over that, that's good, right? Um, his USHL numbers, 1.34, first season at Maine, 1.61. 1.29, second season at Maine, 1.35, third season at Maine, and then 1.26 in Boston, in case you were wondering. So pretty much every level, Swayman has been good. If people were wondering like, oh, this is just like he got, he's a lucky rookie and, you know, kind of caught lightning in a bottle, plays for a good team. Uh, well, maybe there was some of that, but he is an excellent goalie. And I got to credit Jesse for uncovering this nugget. He looked at um, all the goalies that have faced at least 300 unblocked shot attempts against in the last since 0708 and Swayman's save percentage of 94.48 was the best of any of those guys in that entire um period the second place was uh, a bit behind too so he is really 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 good and you look at like what the other goalies did in in Boston and obviously we have Omar coming in now um Swayman outperformed all those guys so I think you should see a fair number of starts. The only reason I don't have him higher is that, you know, I think Olmark's a pretty good situ- pretty good goalie too, and they're certainly paying him enough to give him a pretty strong look 
in, in uh, you know, for, for starts. Um, but, you know, Swayman certainly is, is right there uh, and, and could eat into those numbers. And of course we still don't know about Rask. It sounds like he might, he might not. Um, so the reason I have him so low, like not higher is because of the situation in Boston. If he doesn't get enough games, I don't know how he can win the Calder by just winning like 10 or 15 games. He'd have to win closer to 30 um, in my, in my opinion, to have a, a really strong shot, but he's going to be good. He's going to be valuable. Obviously everybody knows about him and fantasy and, you know, he's definitely a guy that I would look for um, if he was still available when I pick goalies after like the seventh, eighth round. Yeah, I guess the thing is that with Boston, like you said, like it could turn out that Rask comes back at some point and then Swayman goes down to the minors because he's, you know, obviously not going to have to go through waivers. So why would Boston like hold three goalies? So yeah, that would obviously be the worst case. And then it's going to be hard for him to win the Calder or be that valuable for you if he's not playing. But, you know, there's another situation that I could see happening, which is that our friend Linus Allmark, he's no stranger to the IR, right? Like, I I can't recall the last time he's played a full season. I don't even think he has had a full season without an injury ever since he, you know, he started taking on a prominent role as the starter in Buffalo. And so you could imagine, like, Allmark comes in. Like, I I agree with you that Boston just signed him to this four-year, five million per deal. They're going to want to give him some starts. But if he pulls that groin or something goes wrong if Rask is still on the IR, we might all of a sudden see Swayman as a volume starter for Boston. So I think that's the story that leads to a Swayman Calder win and also the story that leads to a Swayman, you know, being one of the top goalies potentially to roster in fantasy because Boston, you know, they're not the as great a defensive team as they were in years past, but still like a team that's probably going to do really well. And win. I mean, I am interested to see how they do with like Krejci out of the picture. And, uh, you know, we already saw last year with Chara out of the picture wasn't as great, but like, yeah, it could be really, really good, but I think it's going to probably take an all-mark entry for him to get into that Calder conversation, but that's also like not the most unforeseeable thing. It's like how in our Dynasty League, I grabbed Alex Lyon out of free agency as a minors eligible guy just because, Car- not that I think Alex Lyon's like so, so amazing, but he's on Carolina, and they've got now uh, Frederick Anderson and Auntie Ranta, two goalies who are also no strangers to the IR. So sometimes you just got to, it's, it's kind of mean, I guess, to be predicting people to get hurt, but I think all-mark is a decent bet to get hurt actually let me know your thoughts i traded all mark for bjorkstrand in our league at some point i know goalies are really valuable what, what were your thoughts when you saw that like just in general like what do you think that all mark is going to do in boston to stand in swayman's way in the long term i saw that trade and i thought yeah that seems fair i mean that seems you know great skater for you know good goalie going into great opportunity so i mean yeah i agree with you and and, and all mark having tendency to get injured. In fact, I, I was, I was looking at this or maybe I heard someone say it. I don't think Omar has ever played a full season at any level he's ever played in. He always gets oh, injured. No. So that is uh, definitely something that is, that seems going to happen at least at one point, hopefully for his sake, it's just a very small injury and, and he gets back soon, but there's a, certainly a chance that it's, it's longer. And, and once Swayman starts playing well, why would they rush him back? Right. They, they shouldn't need to, um, you know, play him a lot. So I, I definitely, you know, if I was picking between the two, I'd, I would, I had this opportunity actually. Uh, and when I ranked my goalies for uh, fan tracks, I definitely put Omar down quite a bit. Um, and a lot of my colleagues put him very high. I just don't believe that he's going to um, stay healthy long enough to be super valuable. So if I had to pick one between the two, I, I just take whoever I can get later, probably realistically. Um, and that I imagine is going to be Swayman. And if that's the case, I'd be very happy with that. 
Yeah, yeah, he's starting. I'm starting to be convinced that I should maybe rank him high. We've got, like I said, our Schmore goalies board episode next week. We're we're going to be tiering goalies. I wonder if Brian's going to let me move Swayman up the list, or if he's going to say that he needs to uh, prove it a little bit longer. But yeah, could end up being a really good situation. All right, so that's your top five there: uh, Zegras, Knight, Caulfield, Tomasino, Swayman. But I, I see you uh, give, brought a top. Victor brings the goods, right? That's why this is going to be a long and very valuable show for people. So I see you have a top ten. So let's round out that top ten now. Who's number six? Another one off the board, and this is Alex Barre-Boulet. He's uh, plays for the Lightning, in case, uh, case people didn't realize that. And he was an undrafted, undersized forward. He's now 24 years old. He's played several seasons in the AHL and has just absolutely crushed it. Um, he was probably good enough to be drafted, but just being a little bit smaller took him a while. And he's been pretty much at a point per game the last couple seasons and his brief stint in the AHL this season, he was over a point per game. So he's really good. And, you know, obviously the, the lightning have salary cap issues as well. And I don't know what they put in the water when they negotiate these contracts, but somehow they got Bear Boulay to agree to basically another entry level contract, three more years at around 750 K that's just insane value for a guy who's ready to step into the NHL and he is good defensively. He's not just like an all offense guy. So I feel like that was a strong indication that they could throw him in the top six. Obviously we're, we're going to have to see what happens with, with uh, Tampa because they lost their entire third line. So someone has to do that uh, heavy lifting on the checking line, which will probably be Sorelli and a couple of the people. I think Barry Belay is going to get a spot next to either point or Stamkos. And that will obviously be, be very nice for him. Not sure if he gets the power play time. Obviously Kalorn has been there. We've seen Pala, we've seen some other issues, but I think he, he gets a look. And if he does, I think that he could, I mean, we know Tampa can put up points, right? So Barry Belay even as a passenger could probably hit 50 points this season. And that would be exciting. There would be arguments about him just being a passenger and maybe not doing enough to earn it, but I think he'll get some consideration if he gets that role. And, and frankly, he's ready. He's shown enough patience at the AHL level. They have lost enough players that he finally needs to be in the NHL. Uh, And I think that he's going to show that he, you know, he's ready and they're going to give him the opportunity and he's going to run with it. So I like Alex Barabule. I think that, uh, you know, he's exciting. He He's going to be in the NHL because he can't be put, put in the minors now. So um, it's his opportunity to lose. And I think he takes it and runs with it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like you said, if he's going to play on a line with one of these superstar guys on Tampa, then it's going to be hard not to get some points. Uh, I'd imagine like you've got Kucherov, Point, Palat. That was a very successful line in the playoffs. So that leaves you with Stamkos, Sorelli, and someone, I guess, to be on that second line. You'd imagine Alex Killorn is probably the front runner, but if not him, then maybe Barry Boulet takes that spot or maybe, you know, takes some time into the season. So yeah, the potential for a good spot playing on a line with Stamkos. Uh, so yeah, hard to imagine him winning the Calder. Again, that argument of like, you you would have to do really well to not just have people say it's just because you were playing with Stamkos, but uh, definitely another guy in terms of fantasy purposes that I'll be having on my watch list. And if he's getting on that second line, I'll be interested in seeing what he can do. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and as much as I love Anthony Sorelli, I think he probably slides down to the third line and more of a checking role because, uh, you know, they need that. So We'll see uh, if he does that in Samco's centers, which he hasn't really done a whole lot of center lately, but that would open up two top six winger spots. So um, that would make yeah. it more likely. We'll see. Um, so the next guy uh, is Marco Rossi and seven is where I have him. 
he did not play at all this season. He had a really scary battle with COVID. He started playing in the Swiss League and uh, had COVID, and then he took some time off, and he thought he was ready um, and played the World Juniors for Austria, and he was not. He, he actually had um, some lingering issues, and when he showed up for training camp uh, for the Wild, he, you know, people forget, but he was one of the most NHL-ready prospects last season, and there was strong indications that he was going to make camp and we were already excited about him playing with Kaprizov last season. But when he got to training camp, they discovered he had a coronavirus induced myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart. And it was scary. He said he would go to bed sometimes, have trouble breathing and and wonder if he'd even wake up. So it was a pretty scary situation, but from all I can, from all the accounts I can read, he's completely recovered and he should be ready and in top shape for this training camp that's about to happen. And uh, I already mentioned him being ready for the NHL. Um, He should not have slipped to ninth overall, in my opinion, but uh, I think he was the third best prospect in that draft, but he is five foot nine. And that's why some people don't like him. I don't think he can be a center in the NHL, but the thing is like, Elon, his thighs are probably the size of your waist. So, you know, when you have big, strong calves like that, you can hold off players. And that's what he does. He doesn't get pushed around. He's not like some other small players that get sort of checked and and pushed off pucks. That doesn't happen with Rossi. He's so strong. Um, He's kind of like Crosby in that way. Not that he's going to be as good as Crosby, but kind of that situation. Um, and Minnesota's center depth, not great, right? I mean, Joel Erickson Eck was pretty, was, is good. And I think is, is a decent, you know, middle six center, but Rass, Bukestad, Sturm, come on. Rossi's probably already better than those guys. Um, and I think they have some pretty decent wingers that could help him out, do some of the heavy lifting for him and he can help distribute the puck and get some points. So, um, just a reminder that, you know, if you look at hockey prospecting, if you correct for all prospects under 117 games played in the NHL, um, which I'll tell you what that means in a second, but Marco Rossi has the highest star potential of any of those guys. That line is of course the Jack Hughes line because above that is where he is. And he has the most star potential of anyone. So I like Rossi a lot. I think that he probably steps in, earns a role, probably starts off lower on the depth chart. Maybe as like a three C earns his way up, but I think he's just going to click with uh, the high offensive guys, you know, your Fiala, your Kaprizovs, uh, and he needs to be in more of an offensive role, maybe your Boldies. So um, I like him. The one thing going against the Wild is that there haven't been back-to-back Calder Trophy winners from the same team since 1967 and 68, where some guy named Bobby Orr won, and then Derek Sanderson won after that. So probably not going to happen for that reason, but it would be super fun. And I think if anyone's going to win the Calder on Minnesota, it's going to be Rossi and not Boldy, frankly. I mean, Quinn Hughes came close to making it two in a row for Vancouver a couple of years ago after Pedersen won the year before, but couldn't pull it off. Stupid Kale McCarr ruined our fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess Rossi, like, and I kind of get the sense that if you're a center, like, if he actually goes to center the top line is playing with Kaprizov, like, and he gets, like, he's going to get a lot of points. Like, Victor Rask was even, I mean, he actually even still didn't get a lot of points, even though uh, Kaprizov and Zuccarello were doing really well on that line. Uh, but you'd imagine he'd get some more credit than, like, a winger, just because he's the center, you know, it's a tougher position. So, yeah, if he can get that spot, 
that would be definitely very interesting. Definitely someone I'd be looking to draft if I see in training camp that he's playing. And even if he's playing on a line with like Fiala and then like you have Jordan Greenway on the other wing or something like that, like it could be a really good spot for him. And yeah, I like that pick a lot. I think that there's a lot of upside here just because of the opportunity. And yeah, he's someone that I'm very interested, like I said, to see where he slots in for fantasy purposes. Definitely on my watch list. We've been doing some mock drafts with the patrons over on our Discord server. And uh, I've been seeing him taken in some of the drafts as a late swing. So a lot of people are thinking that maybe there's an opportunity for Rossi to play with Kaprizov and then, you know, anything could happen. Smart patrons you have there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. And the last three I have on my list, we've already talked about. So eight, Alex Newhook, for all those reasons above, he's good. So is Colorado. Uh, More insider, I have ninth on my list. So a little bit lower than where, you know, uh, uh, well, actually not lower. He was seventh. Well, one lower, um, seventh in the odds makers, but uh, ninth on my list. Still, I think he's a he's a good bet, and he's he's going to be really good. And then Jimmy Drysdale at ten. So uh, if we just run down my list again, real quick. Number one, Trevor Zevers. Two, Spencer Knight. Three, Cole Caulfield. Four, Philip Tomasino. Five, Swayman. Six, Barry Boulay. Seven, Rossi. Eight, Alex Newhook. Nine, Moritz Sider. And ten, Jamie Drysdale. I like the list, but come on, let's take Barry Boulay. Put him to 10. I think that makes more sense. But okay, no, this is your list. And uh, I think that it's very interesting. And all guys who I definitely think people should, at the very least, now have on their radar going into their fantasy drafts. Because if Victor thinks they have a chance to win the Calder, that means obviously these are players who have a chance to make an impact on your fantasy teams. Uh, So before we finish up, I see you've also even come prepared with some other rookies that you think might have a chance to do something this year. So I guess we can do a little lightning round here at the end for some other guys that people should have on their radars. Yeah, just real quick. So this is where Jason Robertson was last year. So you should probably listen because one of these guys might end up as valuable as him. Um, Mm -hmm. Quinn Byfield is one. We already talked about him. Matt Boldy, he's another one. These are, these are guys that I think can be, um, you know, watch lists or late round drafts and redraft and an outside chance to be a Calder. Cole Perfetti, uh, is another one. So Winnipeg pick, he had a fantastic 2021. Um, you know, we talked about him in our recent Winnipeg preview, uh, six points in seven games at the world championships, a 19 year old put up 26 points in 32 games, uh, in the AHL, which was just fantastic. And so he's pretty NHL ready being, you know, putting all those numbers up against the, in, in the AHL. Um, he had pretty good numbers in terms of the net XG and Corsi that I talk about, uh, I think the biggest issue is that Winnipeg has a pretty good top six, right? So I don't know that he's going to step in and push Paul Stastny down. That seems unlikely. Um, and so if, even if he makes the team, so uh, Winnipeg being such a good team and being so stacked, I'm not sure that he steps in and wins that role. But if he does, you know, obviously they have some, uh, again, on the other hand, they have some good wingers, so they might push him into a uh, relevance. Um, next guy is Peyton Krebs. Peyton Krebs is a Vegas pick and he's a center. Hey, I think they need centers, right? They uh, have had some issues with that and they traded away Suzuki and glass. Um, that first one really stung after he ousted them in the playoffs, which I love as sharks fan. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. Krebs, you know, he fell in his draft year just due to injuries and he's progressed really nicely. Two points per game in the WHL this season. Fantastic world junior, amazing AHL uh, and it's little limited sample size. And he's, you know, pretty ready to get a role. I have I, I I don't know that this will happen, but I have a feeling he might step in, show really well in camp, earn his way up 
Uh, and, and eventually I think he'll be better than Chandler Stevenson. I don't know if that's going to happen this season or maybe next season. And if he does, obviously, if he can play between stone and Pacioretty, then oh, that's he, it. he'll be amazing. It doesn't matter how good he is. And I think that he has upside on his own. Right. So yeah, he could be a really fun guy to, uh, to track. Yeah, definitely. I mean, then I like him better than Marco Rossi, even playing with Kaprizov, if all of a sudden Krebs is centering Stone and Pacioretty. So that's definitely going to be a guy to watch in the preseason. Uh, and Perfetti, yeah, I agree with you there that it's just tough to see him bouncing someone out of that top six. But Sassi only signed a one-year contract. So maybe like next year, we can be talking about Perfetti as a maybe the front runner for the Calder, potentially, depending on... I guess there's uh, some good players that are going to get drafted in 2022. Uh, okay, so now I see finally you're going to bring up a shark. Because there's no way I could do a podcast with Victor and just talk about one San Jose shark, right? <laughs> yeah, but of course it's a future shark, not a current shark, because uh, they're kind of bad right now. But William Eklund uh, was just a steal for them to get at seven. I mean, he he's you know for all the fantasy drafters out there, dynasties. Uh, hopefully, you took William Eklund first overall in your draft. I did in a couple of mine, and uh, I, I from what I hear from other people too, they they're in agreement with that. At least people I trust. So. What Eklund is really good. He was a beast in the SHL draft eligible players. Don't usually play this much in the SHL, but he did. And, you know, he was on not the best team, but 23 points in 40 games was just phenomenal for drew gardens. And I have this uh, list of players that did similar or better than him in the SHL in their draft season. Are you ready? Leon? I know you love lists, right? Let's do this. Yeah. So here they are. Kevin Fiala, Elias Lindholm, Nick Backstrom, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, Marcus Naslin, and Peter Forsberg. I think some of those guys are pretty good, yeah? That's a, yeah, it's a pretty good company. So, so you're locking it in, William Eklund, as good as the Sedins. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be a pretty hot take. No, I'm not saying that. But he certainly has the, uh, the, the pedigree at this point. He, he looks better in some of the statistical, statistical models. But uh, interestingly, though, the Sedin twins didn't look that amazing in some of those uh, regression models that you look at. But obviously, they were amazing. So, no, I'm not ready to say that. But he is really, really good. And, and I mentioned before, better than Holtz and Raymond in, uh, in this, this season, which was their draft plus one season and his draft season. So um, top-down hockey which Patrick Bacon um, runs has a has a uh, model for projecting star potential. And he has William Eklund's 71% chance of being a star and basically a 99% chance of being an NHLer already, which is phenomenal. There's only a few prospects that have a higher star potential than him. And that's Tim Stuchla, Anton Lindell, Alexei Lafreniere, and Ty Smith. Those are the only four prospects of any of the prospects that that you could name that have a better star potential than William Eklund. That is a phenomenal thing to be able to say. Uh, he's a great skater. He's got amazing elite hockey IQ. Um, and what's interesting is that he was planning on playing in Jew Garden, and he is on loan there right now. He's at their training camp. He did come over for the um, Sharks development camp and, and played on a scrimmage that I wrote about over at the Hockey Writers. If you want to check that out, there's some videos too. Um, that was a good article um but he has said that he is willing and ready to play in north america this season even if it's in the ahl so i you know i don't think that any of these 2021 guys are going to play in the nhl this season but it might be eklund if it's anyone frankly which is kind of surprising from the seventh overall pick all those michigan guys are going back to michigan which is going to be fun because they're going to wreck the ncaa but uh you know if he gets called i probably start in the ahl but he may make the team if he does it gets called up i mean he could go off you know and and obviously the, the sharks don't have a strong supporting cast but he uh you know they have enough players that i think would 
could help him, you know, get to a pretty decent point total, even if they're bad defensively. So Eklund, yeah, he'd be fun. Um, they're very dark horse, but uh, I w- obviously I would love to see it as a Sharks fan, but I think there's some uh, realistic opportunity there for him. That's very exciting. Okay, so maybe not the best chance to play next year on the Sharks, but you're saying definitely the best player from the draft. Small chance that he can even at least maybe start the season in the AHL, get called up. We'll see what he can do. Obviously, you've mentioned some great company that he keeps with people who, who have had similar stats in the same league as him in their draft year. So, okay, William Eklund noted, and I feel like he's probably another guy like Cole Perfetti that we might be talking about next year, much higher up and earlier on in the podcast. Yeah, definitely. If he doesn't, if he doesn't get enough games this year, watch out next year. Um, and then the next guy is another shark, um, Jonathan Dolan, who has had quite the saga, but uh, drafted in by Ottawa trade to Vancouver, then struggled in the AHL, went back to the SHL and played for his hometown team of Timra, who got, um, he actually helped get promoted to the SHL from the Alsvenskan. And then they got relegated when he left. And then he absolutely, he said he wanted to go back there and help them get re-promoted to the SHL. And he did just that. He tore up the Elsvenskin. It was really remarkable to see. There haven't really been too many guys who did what he did in the Elsvenskin. He had the third and uh, first and third highest point total and the fourth and fifth point per game mark of any Elsvenskin skater under 24. Of course, the caveat is not a lot of Swedish players play in that league because it's the second division league. But uh, a few notable guys have Carl Soderberg, Patrick Berglund, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, um, the new fourth line center for the Lightning. And Dolan was better than all those guys. So, you know, he's coming to the NHL. He is on a um, he's on a contract that he can't be sent down. So he's going to be on the Sharks and he either I think he either does really well or he kind of fizzles out and goes back to Sweden. So he, he can't go down to the AHL. Um, I don't know that it'll be enough for him to win the Calder, but he's a very good offensive player. And obviously the Sharks need him. So he's probably going to get, you know, some offensive opportunity, especially we don't know what's happening with, with uh, Vander Kane, but if there's an opportunity there, yeah, Dolan could absolutely get some good opportunity. And, uh, and, and, you know, he, he has in, in uh, Bacon's model, he has a 39% chance of being a star and a 95% chance of being an NHLer. So that's pretty high still. Um, so I, yeah, definitely there's a chance there. Okay, so Dalin, Eklund, maybe the future for the Sharks can be pretty bright, uh, though I'm a little insulted. You haven't mentioned my top Sharks prospect in our league. Well, Daniil Gushin. Don't you think he's going to be a really great star on the Sharks one day? Okay, if you haven't seen this move that he pulled off on the shootout at the development camp, you need to go look at this right now. So if you look at my article, I have it in there, where you could just Google Daniil Gushin shootout goal. It's probably one of the best I've ever seen. Datsuk's, I, st- I still think, was the best uh, shootout goal because he just made the goalie look so silly. But Gushin, yeah, he's remarkable. He's got great hand skills, and he absolutely is a, is a good two-way player, too. Of course, he's smaller, but I think he's now like 5'10 or even 5'11. So he's grown since he was drafted, and that was the issue. He was what? so small. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that that happens. Sometimes. I mean, I didn't grow f- from that age, but uh, you know, some people <laughs> do. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's an exciting player um, probably still another year or two out um, for you to bring him up to your main squad Elon but yeah he's definitely an exciting player and I, I yeah he's a good he's a good own okay maybe your team isn't all trash all right so how about this I offered you Peterson for Spencer Knight I'll throw in Gushin how still about no. that come on still no all right <laughs> I like it though I like Valeno. it Valeno I'll throw in Valeno <laughs> um, three nickels are not worth a dollar thank you 
Fair enough. Okay. Uh, all right. So who else? Who else do you have on this list? Just a couple of quick ones. Denisenko. He was on the rankings last year, and Brian and I both kind of panned that pick because I didn't think he'd play much, and he didn't. But uh, Denisenko, Florida. He's been good in his international experience, and he's been pretty good in the AHL. He had four points in seven games last season, so there's a start there. But Denisenko, Florida, is he going to play in the top six? Probably not. If he did, and for some reason, check the lines. If he's playing up, obviously, with Barkov or Huberto, then you want to get on board with that. But I just don't think that's super likely. Connor McMichael is another one in Washington who is an excellent um prospect excellent player they want him to play center they gave him one game and he didn't do great and they're like ah you're done and they pulled the plug which is ridiculous that they only gave him one game um i but you know washington obviously is a very good team that's ready to win now and they they want really strong production so i feel like you know maybe he'll get some time in the nhl but he's probably not going to play with the best players in washington and so he's not going to get enough role to actually show what he can do so um yeah, I don't really think McMichael has the best chance. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing both with Denisenko and McMichael. Like, if there's an injury on their team, that's when you maybe want to jump on them in a one-year league or like consider them as someone who might do a lot better than you're expecting. But yeah, Florida looks so stacked in their top six. Plus, they have Owen Tippett, who probably is ahead of Denisenko still since he like played games last year. And also, people are into Lundell. So Florida's like, yeah, they got good prospects. They've got good other players. They're just like stacked all around. And they've got Spencer Knight. Who doesn't Florida have? They're stacked everywhere. But anyhow, okay, so that, I guess, covers your full list. Or you still have some more players you want to throw at me? I'll just briefly say, we, we've kind of teased that there was, you mentioned Adelkovich, and yeah, he is eligible for the Calder after playing one fewer game than he needed to to be not eligible, so that's kind of hilarious. But, you know, Detroit's not Carolina. Everybody knows that. I don't think he wins it. Um, there's a bunch of defenders. Evan Bouchard, Bowen Byram, Jack Rathbone, Kalen Addison, David Ferentz. I think all of those guys are really good, but I just don't think any of them get the role. Maybe Kalen Addison because, you know, Minnesota does, you know, they have obviously Dumba and Spurgeon. Um, so I doubt they hand the reins over to Addison, but he's pretty good offensively. Um, Bouchard took a big hit when Barry signed there. Um, and so I don't think he gets that role and Bowen Byram obviously kill McCarr ahead of him. So I like all those guys, but I just don't think they're going to be able to do enough to actually warrant the uh, consideration. So yeah, just guys to keep in mind, um, but they, you know, they might be valuable at least at times in redraft. And certainly if one of those main guys gets uh, injured, you got to know who the next guy up is. I recall at some point, did you say, I might be wrong about this. Did you say at one point that like Bowen Byram might be like as good as Kale McCarr, but just like, you know, he's not going to have the same role as McCarr. So he's not going to be able to produce as much. Is that something you said? I feel like I heard you say that. I did. So when you look at the, when you look at the statistical models, he was better at the same age than McCarr. McCarr is a total freak. Like he, he basically, his, his season came out of nowhere where he was just like all of a sudden amazing. Um, So that's where scouts are in the big bucks because he had never put up the numbers um, obviously the tools were there, but, uh, yeah, so he looked, Byron looked better in his draft minus one draft season and draft plus one season than Makara. But I also said there's no, you know, Makara's already doing his thing. So it would take a miracle for Byron to kind of surpass him when he's already, when Makara's already getting that role. So I still think that's the case, but Byron is very good. And if Makara ever got, you know, injured, um, and they didn't give it to Gerard or Taves or all the other options they have, and they gave Byram the chance, then sure, he could he could probably be really, really good. 
Yeah. I wonder how Byron feels about this. Like, on one hand, he's on this, like, amazing team that's the favorite to win the Cup next year. On the other hand, this, like, fourth overall pick is, like, you know, like, maybe the third, fourth best defenseman on his team right now and, like, will have trouble getting a lot of minutes. So it's an interesting situation. I guess it's a good chance for him to learn anyways, and then he'll have a long, successful career. But um, Makar is locked in long-term now on Colorado, so Byram's mm-hmm. not going to have a chance to run a top power play for a long time unless he moves teams. Uh, okay, so we've talked through a ton of players. At least one of these guys is going to be the Jason Robertson coming out of nowhere. Uh, and then the rest of them, uh, I mean, obviously there's going to be some that don't play in the NHL at all. And in the end, you still have uh, Trevor Zegras as your favorite to win the Calder next year. If I were to make a bet, that's the thing. So I think my pick is going to be caulfield which is like i guess a pretty easy pick uh but in, in terms of someone i would make a bet on yeah i like that spencer knight at eight to one and i think i also like that uh, jamie drysdale at 25 to one just in terms of trying to get a big payday so this was a blast victor going through all of these players i guess uh before i let you go you've got to tell everyone how they can follow all of your great work uh but i'll say right off the bat uh, fantasy hockey life podcast with victor and jesse is like a really fantastic podcast like especially if you're into prospects i think it's the best you've got out there and uh, but yeah these two are really great know a lot about hockey just in general also so uh, but uh i'll let you uh promote uh, officially your podcast and all your socials thanks yeah we we really love you guys too and, and certainly do all the great work for redraft and keeping up with current events we don't do that as much we go into the deeper uh, leagues and we're finishing up our team previews we just did montreal and the islanders we have tampa and the kraken left so we're doing team by team previews and you can go back and listen to the all the teams um, we're going to go through some draft rankings and then uh, and then focus on deeper leagues throughout the season and let uh, let elon and brian do the the good work that they do along with short shifts about all the day-to-day activity you can follow me on uh, twitter at victor nuno 12 uh, i'm also Feel free to tag me in the Keeping Carlson Discord. Uh, if you have any questions about prospects or anything, I definitely uh, check that when uh, when I get tagged. And we have our own Discord at Fantasy Hockey Life. If you want to talk prospects or deeper leagues, feel free to message me about that. All right, and we'll link to all of that in our show notes in case you missed something. Yeah, definitely follow Victor, join their Discord, listen to their podcast. Uh, by the way, don't sell yourself short in terms of your redraft skills. You were in Tier 3 of the Keeping Carlson Alto Patriot Fantasy League last year. You came second place. I guess you just got a heartbreaker in the finals, but you're going to be in Tier 2 this year. I might be playing against you in like a couple very soon. Either if I fall or you rise, probably like both will happen, and then I <laughs> will miss each other. Two ships passing in the night. But uh, yeah, you definitely have your skills, and for anyone listening, that wants to test out their redraft skills it's not too late to register for the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league registration deadline is september 13th and anyone listening to this podcast can play so just check out cupful.com see if you're interested in joining our awesome league Uh, we have all the information there we did a podcast about it a while back Uh, and if you become a patron of keeping carlson you get to join our league and also you get to have fun in our discord community where you can ask victor lots of uh, prospect questions like he said Uh, we do monthly patron casts so yeah if you are interested uh, check it out support our show as we uh, get ready for the regular season so that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all that information but okay with that let me cue the outro music and I'll go ahead and read you the credits so of course this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Jobber Hockey supported by our patrons including our super supporter patrons Christopher Josh Tom Derek, Rob, Patty, we appreciate you guys so much, but of course, we appreciate all of our patrons. But yeah, thank you to our super supporters. Logo art for our show came from brandonweave.com, outro music by Pat Roach, and of course, this episode was researched 
by Victor Nuno, who shared all of his prospect expertise. And once again, listen to the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. Follow Victor on Twitter. Uh, but okay, thanks so much again, Victor, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure people are really going to love it. Uh, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Tag Victor as well. Let us all know what you thought of the show, who you agree with, who you disagree with. And we'll be back at you with another episode very soon. And until then, just remember to keep on making it that uh, fantasy hockey is for everyone.